Well, good morning, Spring Lake Church. How are you all doing this morning? Doing all right? Okay. Hey, I want to say hi to everybody joining us online or in the family room, the lakeside room, the Bakis. I see you. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Ryan, and I'm one of the pastors on staff uh, at Spring Lake. And I want to just say thank you. Thanks for being here this morning. There's uh, so many other places you could be. Uh, I went to college at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Any pointers out there? Grads? Woohoo! Yeah, okay. We're small, but we're strong. And uh, while I was there, I played for the university's club ultimate frisbee team, okay? I know what you're thinking. Impressive. Impressive, yes. Yes, that's right. And while I was there, uh, frisbee was not just a hobby for me. It wasn't just a passion. Uh, I really saw it as a missions field. These were the people that I believe God had called me to, me and my friends, to share the good news about Jesus with them. And I'll never forget one spring break trip we took down to Georgia. We're sitting around the house that we had rented. You can just imagine the scene. A bunch of college kids hanging out in, uh, in this house. And we're sitting around with a couple of guys, me and a couple of our teammates, and started to get into a conversation about Jesus. And I'm sitting there with my buddies. There's Dave, who uh, we called Simba because he wore a Lion King t-shirt to a practice once. So there's Simba, and there's Jeremiah, and there's Sean. And, uh, and they come from very different backgrounds. Dave is the scientist skeptic. He's like, not sure that any of this whole Christianity thing makes any sense based on what he knows. Jeremiah comes from a pretty religious background. He grew up going to mass, going to services, but kind of had a distorted view of what God was like and what God wanted from him. And then there's Sean, and well, Sean was sort of like what you'd expect from an ultimate Frisbee player, okay? He's kind of a hippie. He had had a lot of experience with uh, the substances, we'll say. And so uh, there's Sean, and he's kind of a, he's kind of a hipster, uh, like a little bit more Eastern, go with the flow kind of background. And so I'm there, and I'm trying to talk to these guys about Jesus. And you can bet that in that environment, it is important to know your audience. It's important because while I believe, well, I believe that the good news about Jesus, the message of Jesus, is equally relevant to each one of those young men, uh, it's going to come across differently to them, isn't it? They're going to receive it differently based on their experiences, based on their worldview, based on the way they're processing things. And in that moment, as I'm sharing with each of them, it, is, it was important to know my audience, to know how to talk about Jesus to each one of them. And that's true for us, for those of us who are followers of Jesus. When we're sharing the good news about, about Jesus uh, with people, it is important to know our audience. The message doesn't change, the message of Jesus, uh, but we might come at it a little bit of a different way. And we see that as we read the Bible and we dive into the book of Acts, that's what we've been doing as a church for the last couple weeks. We've been looking at the book of Acts. We're going to see that the early church understood this, that you got to know your audience as you share the good news about Jesus. So we're going to look at that this morning. If you want to grab a Bible and turn, uh, whether you turn on your Bibles or turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, if you've got the Seatback Bibles, it's page 785. Um, but if you're using the YouVersion app, you can find Spring Lake Church. If you've got your location services turned on, all the scripture will be in there. I want to catch you up to speed and what's happening in the book of Acts so far. There are three missionary journeys in the book of Acts where they take the good news about Jesus and they hit the road. We are in the second 
of the three missionary journeys. Uh, the first one takes place in chapters 12 and 13, and this one uh, we started last week. So I've got a map for you if you're a map person to kind of help you track with where we've been so far. Uh, this missionary journey started out of Antioch on the right side of the screen. That's Syrian Antioch. And just to orient you, if you're not a map person, uh, on, the, on the right side of the screen, that's Israel-Palestine. Uh, that's the Mediterranean Sea. You can see the big blue thing. That's the water, okay. Uh, and then the, the land mass up top, that's modern-day Turkey. On the left side of the screen, that's modern-day Greece, okay. So Paul and Silas and his team, they come out of Antioch. They head and they're going to churches that they've already visited before, and they're, they're strengthening the disciples that are there. So they go to Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. They shoot up to Troas, and while they're in Troas, Paul gets a vision from God that God wants them to cross the Aegean Sea and go to Macedonia. That's what they called uh, modern-day Greece. So they travel across the Aegean Sea. They land in Neapolis. They go to Philippi. Pastor Adam talked about the, what happened in, in Philippi where they got in jail, and God rescued them from that situation. And today we're, we're heading to Thessalonica and Berea and then all the way down the coast to Athens, to the heart of, of Greece. So that's where we're going to be today. And we're going to see Paul, although he visits three cities in our, in our passage, he really is addressing two different types of people. Two different types of people this morning. And we're going to look at those two different types of people. And this message this morning then is for you if you belong to one of those two different types of people. It, it applies to you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it also applies to you in that you might interact with these two different types of people, these two different groups of people, as you share your faith, and it's important to know your audience. We're going to follow Paul's lead in that. So the first group of people are people with religious backgrounds. If you're following along uh, in the bulletin, you can go ahead and write that in. The first group of people in Thessalonica and Berea are people with religious backgrounds. What I mean by that is, they have a lot of the furniture, the, the God furniture or theological furniture in the room, but it needs to be reorganized. It needs to be uh, reorganized around Jesus, or maybe they're missing Jesus. They understand a lot, of, uh, a lot of what's going on when it comes to Christianity, but they are missing Jesus, and they need to in, have their lives reoriented around him. Uh, for Paul, it's Jewish people. It's people who follow the Old Testament, and most of us are not doing a ministry towards Jewish people. Maybe some of you are. You have some of that going on in your life. But for the majority of us, the people who we meet in our city, in our context, who have a religious background, are people who have grown up their whole lives going to church, going to mass, taking communion, and they just kind of think, well, it's just about following the rules, I'll be a good person, live my life uh, as a good person, and then I'll, I'll be okay someday. And Paul's going to be addressing people with a religious background. So look with me at chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. We're going to see that Jesus withstands scrutiny and he demands loyalty. Okay? 1 through 9. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Aren't you glad you're not reading this morning? Where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul in silence, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, and so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. 
But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others post-bond, and they let them all go. So uh, Paul goes into Thessalonica, and he goes to the synagogue. This is a weekly gathering of Jewish people who are reading the scriptures. And Paul doesn't just get in there and start preaching and just proclaiming Jesus. He's reasoning with them from the scriptures. They've got their scrolls open. They've got their iPhones out, and they're following along, okay? And they're looking at the Bible, and he's reasoning with them about Jesus. See, they already knew that there was going to be a, a Messiah. They had read the Old Testament. Most of them knew it by heart. Um, but what Paul has to teach them and show them in the Old Testament is that it was God's plan all along for the Messiah to come and actually have to die for sins, to die, to suffer, and to be raised from the dead. What I want you to notice is that Paul is not just asking them to take a leap of faith. He's not just saying, trust me on this. I work for the government. No, he's saying, I, uh, I am going to reason with you. I'm going to show you how this is reasonable. I'm going to explain this to you. And our faith is reasonable. And what we see is that King Jesus withstands scrutiny. If you go to the message of Jesus and you look at it and you test it and you reason with it, it withstands scrutiny. Some people see that, and they're persuaded. They persuaded in verse 4. They, some of them are persuaded, but others are not quite persuaded because the message about Jesus, it doesn't just withstand scrutiny. It, it demands loyalty. It's not enough just to say, oh, no, I guess that makes sense. No, you have to give your life to Jesus to make a personal response to him, and some do not. Actually, some of them are jealous they're jealous of Paul and Silas, and so they go down to Thugs R Us, and they pick up some bad characters from the marketplace, and they go to the city center, and they start a riot, and they run to Jason's house, and they grab him. This poor guy, he was just putting them up for the night. He's their Airbnb, like Adam said last week. He's just putting these guys up for the night. They drag him in front of the city council, and they say, these people, they've been all over the world spreading this toxic cultish message that's going to infect our city, and now they've brought it here, and they're actually defying the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And we go, well, well that's, not, that's not what they're saying. They're not saying that there's an, another king besides Caesar, but that's because we miss out on what the message actually sounded like back then. See, if you're like me, you grew up believing that Christ uh, was Jesus's last name. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Bob Olson, Ryan Groshek, Jesus Christ. No, actually, Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ is a title, and it's, in the Greek word is Christos, and it means anointed one, and it was a shorthand for it saying the king. It would be like if we referred to our president as elected, the elected one. That's Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. So it's like saying King Jesus. They're, they walk into town, and they're proclaiming we are followers of King Jesus. So on the one hand, on the one hand, the accusation is false. It's not true. They're not saying we should rebel against Caesar. But on the other hand, Luke is winking at us and wants you to know that if you follow King Jesus, then your allegiance, your loyalty, is not to the powers that be over us. That your loyalty, if you're a follower of Jesus today, in America, your loyalty is not to the president. Your loyalty is not to a particular party. It's not to Congress. You follow King Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so we do. Our, Jesus, King Jesus demands our 
loyalty. The message about him withstands scrutiny. He demands our loyalty, and that gets them in trouble. Jason, they ask him to post bonds, so he has to pay to get out of jail, and then probably he has to promise to get Paul and Silas out of the city, so he does that, and then they go on to the next city, which is called Berea. Look at verse 10 as they head to Berea. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea, and then those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, and they left instructions with Silas, or for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So then when they get to Berea, they find that these folks in the synagogue are of more noble character. We would say today that they're more open-minded, they're more tolerant, they're willing to listen to the message, and it says that they receive it with eagerness, and daily they're examining the scriptures to test and see if what Paul is saying is true. Side note, that's how we want you guys to come to church. That's how I want you to listen to podcasts, to watch videos, is by, with your Bibles open, examining, not just taking my word for it, not just taking someone's word for it, but looking, does, does the Bible really say that? Because God's word is our authority, amen? I'm not your authority, God's word is your authority, okay? So we want to be Berean in that sense. And, and they do, they examine, they test, they, they scrutinize the message about Jesus, and you know what? It withstands scrutiny. Some of them are persuaded. That many of them, it says, believe. They believe. And that word, believe, does, it, it means that they accept the message, yes. But it also carries more that they trust, that they trust Jesus, that they pledge their allegiance to King Jesus, that they pledge their loyalty to King Jesus. And they say, we are now followers of the Messiah, Jesus. He is our King. They give their lives to him. King Jesus withstands scrutiny and he demands loyalty. So we see that with this first group, the religious backgrounds. Well, what does that have to do with me today? We see in this passage to this group that religiosity in and of itself, mere law-keeping, being a good person, keeping the commandments, going to church, giving to charity, all those things are not enough to get you right with God. They're not enough to get you a relationship with Jesus. You need to have a personal encounter with King Jesus and respond to him and to pledge your allegiance, your trust, your faith in him. Maybe you grew up and you kind of thought being a Christian is just checking a box on the census, saying I'm not one of these other religions and I go to church on a regular basis and I'm kind of a good person, so that's good enough. I'm a Christian. No, the Bible would say you need to respond to King Jesus. He demands your loyalty, your faith, your trust. Maybe you're here and you are a follower of Jesus. As you're talking with people about Jesus, talking with people who have a religious background, we need to know our, we need to know our stuff. We need to be able to go to the Bible and have discussions with people about what does the scripture 
actually say. Because I want you, if you're still deciding about Jesus, I want you to be like the Bereans, to examine, to test it. It stands up to scrutiny. Go look and see what God's word actually says. And Christians, if we're going to share our faith, we're going to need to know what the Bible actually says, which means you have to read it. (laughs) You have to read it or listen to it, right? So I'm there, I'm in that room with Jeremiah and Sean and David, and Jeremiah, he comes from a background where basically like, I was growing up told that like, if I did these things, the church said was bad, I was a sinner going to hell, but if I did these good things, and I went to church, and I went to confession, and I went to mass, then I'd be a good person, and I'd go to like the happy place instead of the sad place when I die. And I'm like, no, 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 Jeremiah, let me, let me show you what Ephesians says, that it is by grace you have been saved. It's free gift. It's through faith not by works, so that no one can boast. Jeremiah, look what the Bible actually says about that, right? It was important to go to the scriptures. Or how about another example? I'm walking down the street, and my neighbor across the street, Arnold, calls me in. He says, hey, come on into my living room. There's some people I want you to meet. So I walk in, and there are three young men seated on his couch in nice white button-down shirts, and uh, they've got a book in their hand that they want me to look at. It's the Book of Mormon. I go, okay, all right, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what the Bible actually says, okay? They didn't know they were, they were getting a seminarian off the street. We had a great conversation about the Bible, right? But it's important, followers of Jesus, that we know our Bibles. If we're going to share with people who have a religious background, we got to know your audience. Got to know your audience. Paul does. So he gets booted out of Berea. They send him down the coast to Athens, in the second group of people he's going to speak to, are people concerned with spirituality. People concerned with spirituality. Now, Barna is a polling group that does uh, research on people's religiosity, and they say that in America, currently, about 8% of the population are those who say that they are spiritual, but they're not religious. Spiritual, but not religious, meaning they like the idea of transcendence and a higher power, but they don't want to be tied down to specific doctrine or, you know, some sort of religious service, that sort of thing. It's that kind of person that we're talking about and that Paul's going to meet in Athens, and the message he's going to have is that the one true God revealed in Jesus, the one true God deserves and desires our worship. The one true God deserves and desires our worship. Look at uh, 16 to 21 with me in the same chapter. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean Stoics, or sorry, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. I said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what is this new teaching you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Side note, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So Paul walks into Athens and Athens is a cultural center for learning. A lot of our philosophy comes from Athens. A lot of culture, a lot of art, literature, music comes out of Athens. And there was a type associated with Athens. 
It's a little bit like the way that we think about people from Madison. Ooh, you're from Madison. Okay. We see her. We know where you're at. Okay. There's kind of a type. You imagine, uh, you imagine Paul walking onto the university campus down there and starting conversations about Jesus. That's the kind of person we're thinking of. Uh, he's talking to Epicureans <coughs> and Stoics. These are not religious uh, folks who are worshiping the Greek gods or the Roman gods. They're uh, philosophers. They're dealing with these kind of worldview, but deep esoteric issues. And they have him uh, at the Areopagus. They take him to the Areopagus. We got a picture of the Areopagus. It was a hill where people would discuss and debate ideas, but eventually it gets to become the name for basically the city council of Athens who made decisions about uh, what was going on in the city. And they hear about Paul. They bring him there. And he's got a captive audience. And he's going he's gonna to be moving towards this message of that the one true God deserves and desires their worship. But just watch him. He takes a different tactic than he does in Berea and then Thessalonica. He doesn't start with, thus saith the Lord in the book of Isaiah. No, no, no. He takes a different, different tactic. Look at this. Uh, verse 22 and 23. First, he assesses their idols. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He says, I admire your passion. I see that you're concerned with spiritual things. I see that you're passionate about worship, but you're worshiping the wrong thing. Let me tell you who you ought to be worshiping. Uh, he says that they're worshiping false gods or idols. Now, an idol is anything that we put in the place of God, and we give it our time, our attention, our focus, our money, and we expect to get the same things from it that we should only get from God. That's an idol. Now, we don't have idols today, do we? Well, oh, wait, that's right. We have a temple on the west side of our city uh, to the gods of green and gold, don't we? That's right. We've got a stadium where people go every week to sacrifice their burnt offerings, to have their sacred meat, and to, uh, to wear their religious garbs and show up and praise the gods of the gridiron. That's right. And some of our hopes and our dreams are resting on how our gods perform for us tonight. Oh, yes. People of Green Bay, I see that you are very religious. <laughs> it's a cheap target. I shouldn't do that. He assesses their idols. Then he starts with the basics. Verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made by human hands. He's, he's not served by anything as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He starts with the basics. There's not many gods. There's one God. There's one God, and he created everything. He created you, and did you notice he's saying? God wants you to reach out for him and seek him, and he is not far from any of you. If you're here today and you're concerned with spiritual things, but you don't know God, I'm here to tell you he is waiting for you to reach out to him. He wants you to seek him. He is not far from you. 
He's not far from you. So he, he uh, starts with the basics. Then he finds common ground with them. He quotes one of their poets. That would be like you quoting a Disney movie or referencing a meme of some kind, building some common ground. And then finally, he gets to the hard truth in verse 29. Therefore, he says, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you more on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Others of them, or among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So Paul finally gets to the hard truth. He says, he does not say, oh, well, there's, there's your version of reality and there's my version of reality. There's your truth and there's my truth. Isn't it nice that we can all have our own truth and that's good for you and this is good for me? No, he says, you are following false gods, false idols. And one day you will be judged by the one true God. And it all depends on how you respond to Jesus. How you respond to Jesus, the man appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. He gets to the hard truth. And if we're sharing Jesus with people, if you're here and you're checking out Jesus, at some point you're going to bump up against the hard truth that what the Bible proclaims is that there is one way to God. It is through Jesus alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that is hard. And if we're sharing Jesus, we need to get to the hard truth. Now, some of us were taught that you need to start with the hard truth, and you need to start by telling people, hey, this is how it is. You know, repent. But if we follow the Pauline tactic, and we follow him, it's about building ground and, and, and understanding where people are coming from, and eventually getting to the hard truth. Can't leave it out. So I'm sitting there in that room with those Frisbee guys, and Sean looks at me, with tears in his eyes, and he says to me, so you're telling me, you're telling me that my grandma, who's a Buddhist, that if she dies, that she's going to hell. And I go, I probably said something really wise and calm, right? No, I was terrified. And I said, you know, Sean, I, I don't know your grandma's heart, so I don't know where she's at with Jesus, but I know that she doesn't have to she doesn't have to be separated from him forever. She could give her life to him and receive salvation, receive forgiveness. He didn't like that. In fact, he sneered at me. And uh, we didn't have a great conversation <laughs> the rest of the trip. And it's, that's hard. That's the hard truth. But if we love people, we will share with them the truth, which is that God, the one true God revealed in Jesus, deserves and desires our worship. He's not far from any one of us. So if you're here and you're searching, you're still thinking, I, I kind of like the idea of there's more to life than just what I see in front of me. I like the transcendence and all that. I'm here to tell you that that alone is not enough. That you need to have make a personal response to Jesus. Is he Savior and is he Lord or not? That is what matters. That's the only thing that matters. And I would invite you to trust in him. Trust in him today. Give your life to him. And if you're a believer and you're talking with people who are concerned with the spiritual then I would say take the Pauline path. Take the Pauline path and build relationship, find some common ground, 
But eventually, we need to get to the hard truth and love them enough to tell them what's really true, that they need Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are not far from any one of us, that you desire us to reach out and to seek you, to call upon the name of Jesus. For any who are here who have not yet trusted you, I pray that you draw them to yourself, that they see you as good, as beautiful, as Lord and Savior, and that you save them, you rescue them. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, I pray that you give us the courage, the boldness, and the love to share you with others. Would you bring us into encounters with people who need you this week, all for your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen.